Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. This is what, what I saw. In the Old Testament, God, the presence of God, dwelt in the, in the tabernacle. <clears throat> when the Jews came out of Egypt, you know, they were, the, 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 God brought them out of Egypt, but they brought Egypt with them. The very first thing they did when they got into the wilderness was they complained. They griped. Lord, we had lots of food. We had lots of food. We had onions. Now, what do we got? This, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? We got, what is it? For breakfast, what is it? For lunch, what is it? You know, I, now I'm, I'm, I, I, I live a low-carb lifestyle because that works for me and it, it, it keeps, helps keep me healthy. Because I on, almost rarely ever eat potatoes, I love potatoes. Mashed potatoes are like crack cocaine for me. If I start, I'm not stopping. Just take the 10-pound bag, mash them all, and stay away. I'm going to town. But if I ate potatoes for breakfast and lunch and dinner, day after day after day after day after day, at some point you get to where you think, Lord, potatoes again? You know, we fried them, we mashed them, we well, have done everything with potatoes. You can do with potatoes, and they're still just potatoes. And I'm tired of them. I'm sick of potatoes. Well, that's kind of how these people were. They, they, they had, God was providing everything, and they were just bored because they did not realize that, that who they had with them. In fact, when, when God gave them the law through Moses, he said, after he gave them the law, build my tabernacle, and they spent a year to two years so God could instruct them how to worship him in the tabernacle. Paul says, that's a picture of us, that tabernacle. So I want us to, to see, because I, this was the, the kind of the revelation that I've had, and maybe I'm just slow, and you've seen this before. But in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, this is Paul just giving a blessing over the, the church of Thessalonica. But he says this, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, every part of you, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that we are three-part beings. If you remember back at the tabernacle, the tabernacle had three compartments. You had the outer court. You had the um, inner sanctuary, the, the, the holy place. And then you had the holy of holies. Those three, and this is what I saw... Those three correspond to our tabernacle. We have our body, which is our outer court. It's where we interact with, with uh, the world, if you would. We have the holy place, which corresponds to our mind, our will, our emotions. And then we have the holy of holies, where the presence of God dwells, the Holy Spirit, lives in our spirit. And how 
God dealt with the, the, the nation of Israel and the tabernacle is exactly how he is dealing with us now and how he wants us to deal with our lives, our own lives. Let, let's take him in order and, and just look at this for a few minutes. The outer court. This is where we meet the world. Now, the tabernacle was closed off, but later on when, when the temple was there, you had um, uh, the court of the Gentiles where anybody was welcome. You had the court of the women where the women could gather, but then you had the court where just Jews could go. Well, we, our outer court is our body, and our body is in this world. And we, this is where we conduct all of our relationships, some very intimate, some very personal, some kind of casual, and some just, you know, we barely know you. We, we, have all, we deal with our families, we deal with our jobs, we deal with our leisure time. Everything revolves around our, our bodies, or everything that revolves around our bodies, revolves around those areas, and it's out in the world. Now, in the outer court, in the tabernacle, there were only two pieces of equipment. There was the, the brazen altar, and there was the brazen laver, which is, laver is just an old English word for a, um, a big bowl, brass bowl. But notice both of them are made out of brass, not gold. Brass looks like gold, it's dense like gold, but it's not gold. Brass is a, is a type of sin. That's why it was in the outer court. This is where God dealt with sin with the old covenant. For us, we have um, sin still resides within our flesh. The nature of sin resides in our flesh. And it, it, your body wants to do, it, it always wants to go to extremes. If you get into exercise, your body wants to run. I had a friend, I, I, I always told him it was, it was a mental illness, but he loved to run. He once told me one time, and I laughed at him. He said, I said, what are you going to do this, this weekend, Phil? He said, well, Saturday morning I'm going on a 15-mile fun run. And I just kind of chuckled. I said, brother, I'm sorry, but those two words don't go together. Fun, 15-mile run, nothing, nothing together. But for him, it was to the point where he started developing shin splints, which are uh, tiny fractures in your, in your tibia. And it, it, if, if you don't rest when you start getting those, they just get worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where your leg will just, that tibia will just shatter. And when it shatters, you've got real problems. He could not quit running. They finally had to put him in a cast to keep him from running. He just he could not stay away from it. He was so addicted to that runner's high. That was his flesh. And I, I said, well, people, I've had people tell me, but that's a good thing. That's, that, that, that'll keep you healthy. Well, yeah, it'll keep you real healthy till you die. But it can also be pushed to an extreme where your whole world revolves around running. And then you got the other part where most of us are, and you get out of bed and, you know, you, you do all your morning activities and then you're tired and you need to go sit down and rest a while so you can go fix breakfast. And your body just wants to sit. It's like, hey, we've been standing up for five minutes. You know, we, we, had, we had praise and worship set this morning. It went 40 minutes and you expected me to stand the whole time. Are you a slave driver? 
Do you realize how, how much of our flesh dictates to us, well, I just can't stand that long. Well, if you can't, don't. Sit down. But, but, but recognize that that is an act of flesh. And, but for us, how do we deal with this? In the, in the, at the, the tabernacle, they had the brazen altar. You brought the sacrifice. You brought the animal, you cut its throat, you collected the blood, the blood all went on and was burned before God. Some of the meat was burned before God and the rest went either to the people or to the priests. The, the brazen laver was where you cleansed yourself, the, 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 the priest. And remember, Peter said, we are priests and kings right now, all of us as Christians. We stand in that office of a priest and a king. They would, the high priest or any priest that was going to minister in the holy place had to wash themselves, bathe before they went into the presence of God inside behind that veil. Well, we need to do that. Let, let me show you how we do this, though. Because we don't actually have an altar. Animal sacrifices are done. They, they, Jesus said, I am the last sacrifice. No more blood. My blood speaks forever. That's all we need, the blood of Jesus. Well, go to 1 John. This is chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. This is John the Apostle talk, talking. He says, This is the message which we have heard from him, from Jesus, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we do lie, and we do not practice the truth. But... If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. <clears throat> we have an altar in our outer court for our bodies. If you, if you walk in the world, you are going to get dirty. You're going to pick up things. Things are going to influence you. You cannot help that. Any more than, uh, in, in, well, let's go, let's look at it. I'm going to take these a little out of order. In, in John chapter 13, Jesus, this is where Jesus, when the disciples were coming in the house, he took on the role of a servant, had a towel and a basin of water, and was going to wash their feet. That was the job for the lowest slave. And, of course, everybody didn't, none of them really were excited about it. They, they, it was a little humbling to do that. But, of course, Peter, loudmouth Peter, said, no, 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 no. He objected. Uh, John 13, verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. That's a dangerous thing to say to Jesus. No, you're not doing this. You will never do this. <clears throat> Jesus answered him. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with, with me. So Simon Peter said to him, this is the flesh. Either not doing it at all, or let's go all the way. There is no in-between. Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands, and, uh, my hands and my head. This is Peter saying, well, God, if you're going to do any of this, do it all. Do everything. I'm just turning it over. You just control everything. You know what God's answer is when we say, God, you control everything in my life? He says, no, thank you. I've given you choices. You make some choices. 
I will empower you. I will tell you the choices you ought to make. He says in the Old Testament, this day I place before you life and death. Choose life. But he gives us the choice. He's not going to come in and treat you like an automaton. He's not going to come in, stick his hand up in your back like you're some little uh, mannequin, and he's going to operate your mouth, and you're going to talk, and he's going to walk you through, and you're just going to kind of walk through life, and he'll control every aspect of your life. He says, no, this is not how it's going to go, Peter. Verse 10, Jesus answered him and said, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, speaking of Judas. He's telling Peter, look, your relationship with me, you're walking in cleanliness, but you're walking in the world. We're walking through dust and dirt, and we got sandals on, so clean your feet. When you come into the house, if the world has jumped on you, then wash it off. Don't let it accumulate. Don't think that, well, I'm just full of filth. No, you're not. You're not. You are a child of God. The world may get on you. You just need to get in the habit of washing off those influences of the world. How do I do that? Well, let's go back to 1 John. This was, was John's account in in. In 1 John, we've already seen in verse 7, at the end of verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin, but that's if we're walking in the light. Verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin. Now notice that that's sin in the singular. That's addressing the nature of sin that resides in your flesh. Lord just brought something to my attention. Let me just chase this little rabbit here for a second. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. Um, you can be wrong if you want to. The Bible says, and I've heard this, oh my Lord, I've heard, I've been bludgeoned with this in the past. God is only coming back for a bride that is spotless and pure. And we've got to live holy or Jesus can't come back. Sorry, wrong. Wrong. For a couple of reasons. First of all, you can never be spotless. Not when you have a fleshly body. A body that has sin residing in it. Secondly, the body of Christ constantly has new converts coming in whose lifestyles are just as messed up the day after they get saved as they were the day before they got saved. They are not wholly sanctified. And we've got Christians that have been Christians for 45 years who still are not wholly sanctified. So how is Jesus going to come back for a bride that without spot or wrinkle? Because at the rapture, He leaves your bodies behind and He gives you brand new, recreated, holy bodies that have no nature of the flesh and He brings a bride to Himself that is pure and spotless without wrinkle, without any faults, because He created it that way. Not how we are right now. Love your enthusiasm. Think on that one. Now, if we say that we have no sin, if we say, look, I'm a Christian, I cannot sin, I have no sin, I'm a new creature, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 
if we confess our sins, plural, if we as individuals, when I have messed up royally, and I do this multiple times a day, and the Lord calls me on it. We were talking about this in men's prayer yesterday. The difference between Saul and David, you look at the sins of Saul and David, by natural standards, I'd probably put David's a little worse than Saul's. So he didn't kill a bunch of animals. He, he disobeyed God. He didn't, he didn't whack off Agag's head. He made Samuel do it. You think I might get rough as a pastor? I'm not cutting people's heads off. That was what Samuel did. The difference was when God called Samuel on his sin, Samuel had an excuse and said, Well, but Lord, but Lord, you don't understand. When God called David on his sin, David hid his face and said, Oh, God, yes, you're right. I'm horrible. He realized that his that he had messed up and messed up, and he confessed it to God. That's what John's saying. If we confess the things that God brings to us, he is faithful, meaning God is faithful, and he is just to forgive us of our sins, and this is the important part, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just as Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, us staying in constant fellowship with God and, and saying, Lord, I know I've got this tendency just to mess up all the time. And I'll be honest with you, the more mature you get, the more you, you will realize that you are messing up all the time because it doesn't take near as much. When you're a brand new Christian, I don't know how to describe it because we always go to the sins of the flesh. And the sins of the flesh are, are the least important. They're not, don't get me wrong. You're involved in the sins of the flesh, you've got problems. But I'll take those any day over the sins of the heart and the mind. You show me a person in adultery, or a person that, that's got, got addiction problems, or problems controlling their body, I will take those over a, a, a Christian that, that is self-righteous, and has their own little set of legalistic rules, and they're, they're, they're meeting their own rules, so they think they are the judge of the whole world, those people are almost impossible to deal with. These people that are involved in the sins of the flesh, almost all of them know, I don't want to be here. Yes, I'm messed up. I am having problems. Help me. That is why you look at the life of Christ... Who did he get after? He got after the Pharisees, the religious people, who were all puffed up with their own righteousness. And he called them out. You're a bunch of vipers. You're a bunch of snakes in the grass. You're a bunch of tombs that are full of dead men's bones. Sinners came to him. He accepted them. Now, he never accepted their sin. But he accepted them and he brought them into a relationship so he could transform them. Amen? For us, we have to know that we need him. That's what it means to confess our sins and know that he is faithful and he will cleanse us of all of those. But notice the last phrase here in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word, his word... His word is not in us. 
The emphasis here is His Word. It's His Word that is important. It's His Word that tells you when you mess up. It's His Word that brings you a revelation that I need to change something here. But if you think, no, I don't have a problem, it's a symptom that you don't have enough Word in you. We see this in Ephesians 5. Uh, uh, Paul is using the, the, the relationship between husband and wife, but he, he, he's trying to talk to husbands about loving their wives. But he says, you need to love your wives, husbands, like Jesus loved us as the church. And his example in, in, in Ephesians 5.26, that he, Jesus, that Jesus might sanctify and cleanse her, his church, with the washing of the water by the word. By the word. It's only by your knowledge and your application and walking in the light of the Word that you can do any of this. Amen? Now, the inner court. This is, this is, this is the, to get to the inner court, you had to go in through the first veil. That tells me that the inner court and the Holy of Holies were veiled to the world. I can see you, but I really don't see you. I see your body. And your body is not you. Because I know, I know that. You know how I know that? For one thing, I taught school for a lot of years. And I dealt with, we, we were talking a little bit with somebody this week. And I told them, I said, you know, I had a long teaching career. I've only been injured twice. I tore a muscle in my leg and I tore my Achilles tendon, both of them dealing with girl fights. Telling you, that's something. You, you've been in the classroom 25 years and you've only gotten hurt twice and it's both by girls? I've only been assaulted in the classroom one time. No, two times. Both by girls. I won both fights, by the way. No, it was, it was, a, it was a minor scrape. Guys, th th there wasn't a problem with that. But you know what? If they could have seen... Because they looked at me, and this was most of these were towards the end of my career because I was dealing with inner city kids and modern kids who they get to crazy eyes and they just, they're nuts. And, and, and their culture today is combative. And I'm not just talking about the inner city, I'm talking about culture at, at large. Everybody's ready to fight, everybody's ready to argue. This is a sign of our times. But, but I guarantee you, most of you remember Alan Moulton. Now, Alan's a mere shadow of himself. Alan's 6'5". When, when, when they attended here, Alan, well over 300 pounds, football player. And I mean, he, he was 300 pounds, but he was solid too. Never knew anybody to challenge Alan to a physical contest. You might get mad at Alan, but you don't get up in Alan's face. Because he's a big boy, and you just have this feeling, that, that man will hurt me. I never had a student ever worry about getting in my face. I had a few thought, I could take you, old man. Probably could. I had to bluff my way through most of those confrontations. But if they could have seen me on the inside, if they could have seen the angels that kind of backed up around me when, when I was threatened, I guarantee you they would have backed down in a hurry. So when we see each other, this inner man is the part that's veiled that the world doesn't really see. All they see is the body and they listen to our words, which are, makes our words important. Amen? But in this, in, remember, outer court you had brazen altar where you apply the blood and you had the, the brazen 
uh, labor where you washed and got the dirt that you just pick up naturally, the influences of the world, you've got to keep them washed off of you. But you're already clean. In the inner court, there's three pieces of, of furniture. There's a table of showbread, the golden lampstand or the menorah, and there's the altar of incense. Jesus dealt with this first one, the table of showbread. They would bake holy bread and put it in there. Now, there's one unique thing about um, the showbread in, in the Jewish tabernacle and worldly religions. You go to India, you go to any place where you find altars, people will literally come and bring food and place it before the altar because the God cannot get nourishment if you don't provide nourishment. The table of showbread was not for God. It was for the priests. They just brought it before God to sanctify it. They didn't bring the bread in there and say, you know, I'm not, I guess God's asleep this week. He didn't eat any of the bread. They brought it in, and, and it was for the consumption of the priest, but it was dedicated to God first. This is a type of Christ right here. John 6, Jesus' words. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The Jews responded to him in verse 34. said, God, Lord, give us this bread. Jesus spoke back to them in verse 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Not only am I going to be your bread, I'm going to give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. I've got a permanent answer to all of these problems. Verse 48 of, of John 6, he just, he just got plain with them. He said, I'm the bread of life. I am, that showbread from the tabernacle that's still in the temple, that's me. Verse 51, he said, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, pointing to himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. That's why we, we use bread in communion. When at the Last Supper, at that final meal, he broke that bread. In the Jewish ceremony, there are three pieces of bread. And the Jews will tell you, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I had somebody, he was a Messianic Jew. He said, you know, growing up, he, he grew up as an Orthodox Jew. He said, I was wondering... What did Isaac do to get broken? Because they thought Abraham, Isaac, Jacob wasn't Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three manifestations of God, three types of bread, but it's the middle one. It's, the, it's Jesus, the, the, the Son, that gets broken. And when he broke that bread at that table, he took that middle piece of bread out and said, This is me, and broke it. And he did it for us. Now, the golden lampstand, the menorah, this is where we get um, um, come around uh, near Christmas time. We have the, the uh, ho Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. Hanukkah was when the Maccabees kicked out the um, um, Greeks. They, they did battle with, with the, the inheritors of Alexander the Greeks' armies, and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes decided, I'm doing away with this Jewish religion. And he went into the temple and he slaughtered a pig on the altar and spread pig blood all over the temple. And the Maccabees finally said, that's enough. That's it. And they, they, they revolted. 
I only made one tiny little mistake. They, they couldn't quite beat the, 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 the uh, Greeks by themselves, so they enlisted this little tiny nation in Italy called Rome to come in and help them. And then Rome grew, took over everything. But they had freedom there. But when they, got, when they got the temple back, after they kicked out Antiochus Epiphanes, they had to cleanse the temple. It had pig blood all over the place. And you, you, you bring pig blood into a holy place for a Jew, and you've got problems. But when they got done, it takes so many days to, to produce and sanctify holy oil for the menorah. They didn't have enough time, and they didn't have enough oil for the menorah to, to burn until they could get a new batch. So they said, we'll light it anyway. And let's see. We'll just let it burn until it quits burning. And it didn't quit burning until the new oil was ready. It's the miracle of Hanukkah. Still celebrate it today. That brings God's light. It's representative of God's light. We just read it in 1 John. If you walk in the light, as I am in the light, then you will have fellowship with one another, and I will cleanse you. We have to walk in the light that we have. I can't walk in, in Pastor Steve's light. I have to walk in my own light. And I can't command others to walk in my light. It's where we, we make a mistake as the body of Christ. I have to be real strict on myself and real merciful to everyone else. We read it in Psalm 103 earlier out of the New Living Testament. God does not answer our sins aggressively and harshly, but He defers our sins and treats us gently. We need to do the same for each other. I may have light on a subject and realize that this is a real problem and you don't have light on it, but I need to pray for you. I need to maybe help you get light, but I certainly don't need to demand that you walk in the light that I have. Because you can't. I've got to walk in the light that I have. And then, then the, um, um, well, to finish up that one, Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. <clears throat> that inward man gives illumination to the rest of me. And then the altar of incense, this is described best in the book of Revelation. Revelation 8, 3 and 4. This is, is literally what happened during the vision that John had of these end times. He said, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, which he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. The altar of incense represented the prayers of the Jews, the prayers of the saints. And it's like a smoke that goes up that's, that's pleasing to God. Which tells me that I need to, I need to in, in that, that holy place, in my mind, I need to feed on the Word. I need the bread of life. I need the light of God. And I need to get my mind off of me. Our, our lives sin, tend to center around ourselves. But when we get... We consume the Word and we get the light on the Word. We need to take that light and bring it up to God. We need to pray for others. We need to get our eyes off of our own problems and start helping other people and praying for them. I, and let me just put it this way. If you don't have a prayer life, 
You're missing out on a third of what God says you ought to be doing and what you ought to be having. Feeding on the Word is necessary. Having light on the Word is just not just necessary. Without it, you don't really understand the Word. And that's where most Christians are. But then you need to take that light and you need to bring it before God and pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. We were talking yesterday, men's prayer, and I brought up about praying Paul's prayers. There, there are three of them. Colossians chapter 1, um, um, Ephesians chapter 1, and Ephesians 3. There are three prayers that Paul prays over the church at Colossae and, and Ephesus. And I pray those quite regularly. Not near as much as I ought to, but then you get busy and you just let things slip. Why we have to confess our sins, our weaknesses, our, our Lord. I ought to be doing this more than I'm doing it, but I just, I got caught up, you know, and I neglected it. Forgive me. He says, of course, apply the blood. Let's wash you off. Go eat some bread and pray those prayers. I have those out on the, um, out on the welcome center, and I invite you, grab one. First front of the sheet just gives you the scriptures. The back of the sheet, the scriptures are converted to a prayer that you can pray. It's personal. God, the, the, the one that I pray probably the most is Colossians 1, 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to, to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you might have a walk Worthy of Him, being fruitful in all good works. That, you can pray that over yourself. Lord God, or Paul prayed this over the Colossian church. I pray this over myself. Fill me with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, just the surface knowledge. I want to go deep. Now, you, if you're going to go deep, you better be, be prepared to see some things about yourself you may not like. But the thing is, if he brings light, he also brings, with, with, with grace, not only comes the revelation that, that, that you're screwed up, but also comes the power to fix it. That's the great thing about grace. The law just tells you you're, you're broken. Grace tells you, here's how you fix it. It's the bud. It, it, it's the light. Amen? Let's go on. That altar of incense, we've got to pray these. But then you come to the Holy of Holies. This is where the second veil is. Now in, in the um, tabernacle and in the temple, this veil always sealed you off from the presence of God. This is where the Shekinah glory was. When, when um, um, Solomon dedicated the temple, the, the Shekinah glory got so powerful that it broke out. And the, the priests and the singers just fell back. They couldn't minister because the glory got so much on them that they just they couldn't handle it anymore and it shut them down. What the God that we could get the glory of God in ourselves so stirred up that it just shut us down for a while. Shut your, you know, just bask in that for a bit. But for us, there's no veil. When Jesus came out of the grave, that thing was, was torn from the top down god opened it up he said there's no there's no separation between you and me uh, hebrews 12 6 says that the word of god is sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide asunder divide between the soul and the spirit only the word can separate where your mind is and where your spirit is 
under normal circumstances, you don't know where God ends and you start. You only get revelation of that from the Word. So you have a hard time. Because I've heard people say, well, I don't know what, what's God and what's me. Welcome to the club. That's a universal human problem. Only will the Word tell you where that is. And only for you. But you need to know. Now, in the same way, you've got just one implement in that Holy of Holies. It's the Ark of the Covenant. But it's interesting what's in that Ark. You've got Aaron's rod that budded. You've got the tablets of the, the commandments. And you've got a pot of manna. It's like, what's that represent? Because, you know, God says, Aaron will build this, this box, and I'm not in the box. You can't put God in a box. God's not limited. But God's glory resides between the two cherubim above the box. That's where the mercy seat is. His presence is above the ark. But the ark itself is made out of wood, which signifies our natural side. But it's clothed inside and out with gold, which tells me it represents my, my holy works towards God and God's holiness on the inside, my spirit. I am a natural man, but I got God on both sides of me, holding me in. But inside of it, he put these three things. The Aaron's rod, basically, and I'm not going to go back and read it. In Numbers chapter 17, you can go read it. They were arguing because Moses was, was, was bringing the tribe of Levi in. They were doing the, priest, the priestly work because that's what God told Moses to do. And the other 11 tribes are saying, well, why, what's so special about them? They're not, they're not particularly special. You know, if you're in a large family, you've all, everybody knows who the black sheep is and everybody knows who the prize child is. And everybody gets jealous of the prize child. And the prize child usually not too prized. They usually, especially if they're Christian, they realize sometimes that prize brings a lot of responsibility. Everybody, a lot of people look at the Old Testament way of doing things and, and they see the eldest child gets a double portion and that's just really not fair. But what they don't recognize is that that eldest child also got a lot of extra responsibilities. And that double portion helped them meet the responsibilities. So when you see God giving giving favor to someone, realize that that favor comes with a price. To whom much is given, much is required. And we always see given, we don't see the required because we live in an age where it's, my name's Jimmy, gimme, gimme, gimme. I want all the blessings. I don't want any of the discipline. I don't want any of the responsibility. Just give me stuff. Don't make me work for it. That's not God's way. But this rod, the, <clears throat> when these tribes were jealous, the, the rod of each individual tribe was like a scepter. It represented the power of the leader of that tribe. And he said, okay, do this. I want you to take every one of those rods and, rods and you inscribe the name of the tribe on that rod and you bring all of them in and you set them in my presence in the tabernacle and you leave them and come back tomorrow and pick them up. And Moses did and he brought... When he did, he went in, he gathered up all 11 of them. <clears throat> he left Aaron's in there, and he brought them out, and he said, Is this yours? Yes. Any different? No. Is this yours? Yes. Is any different? No. Went through all 11. And then he brought Aaron's. And remember, these are sticks, dead, polished, no life in them. 
He brought Aaron's rod out and he handed it to Aaron. He said, is it any different? He said, yes, it's alive. What was dead is now alive. And not only is it alive, but it has bloomed. It's got blossoms and it's got fruit on it. God put in the, the, in the ark something that used to be dead that he brought life and it's bearing fruit now because it's alive. Just as a testament to us that in your spirit, you used to be dead. Paul said it in Ephesians. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and when he died for us, when he rose again, when he came out of the grave, we came out of the grave. What was dead is now alive and it's bearing fruit. Well, I just don't see much fruit in my life. Well, you're just not looking in the right place. It's there. It may be small, may be undeveloped. But it's there. It's like the guy that got to heaven. And Jesus said, you know, you needed to be more patient with people. Well, Lord, I didn't have any patience. And being God, he said, really? Took his hand, reached right inside his chest, pulled out this envelope out of his heart, and said, yeah, you did, right there. Right there. See, that card says patience. Still wrapped up in the cellophane. Never been opened and never been used. You know, I got, I got um, cards. My kids, when they were little, they'd want to go do something. They'd say, Daddy, can we go get some ice cream? I said, no, kids, I don't have any money. I'm broke. My wife always rebukes me. No, you're not. You just don't have any on you. It's the same thing. But you know what the kid's response was? You got one of these, Dad. You got a card. There's a machine right over there. You put the card in, the machine gives you money. Go get money. They didn't understand you got to put money in to get money out. And if you got no money in, you can't get money out. Or you got money in, but that money's already promised to somebody else. We've got everything in there already. We just need to get the cellophane off of it and plant the seed. Start exercising it. The, 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 the rod has sprouted. Let's, let's get it out and let the fruit grow. Now... He has the tablets of the Ten Commandments. That's the law. <clears throat> but we don't live by the law. Remember Ezekiel, chapter 11. I think this is the right one. Verse 18. This is in, before this, it's talking about, God's talking about the Jews, and he's saying, because remember, Ezekiel was, was a, a prophet to the nation that's about to get judged. He said, I'm going to scatter you all over the entire, all, entire world. There's coming a day when I'm going to gather you back. And verse 18 is the promise of when I gather you back. He says, and they will go there. I'm going to scatter you out. And they will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations from there. Then I will give them one heart. Then I will give them a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. He's saying there's coming a day when I'm going to take that, those stone tablets of the law and replace them with a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my commandments. But my commandment basically comes down to one, love. Walk in love. Look at Galatians chapter 5 at the fruit of the Spirit. It, it, remember, in the Greek, there are no punctuation marks. It's just one string of letters, either all uppercase or all lowercase. So we have to insert punctuation in there 
They put a comma between love and the rest of the fruit. Personally, I think it ought to be a colon. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And that love is manifest as joy, peace, all of the others. That's the commandment that God gave us. The new commandment I give you is to walk in love. You walk in love. How do you walk in love? Uh, Paul said in Romans, love does no harm to their neighbor. I don't need to be told don't steal from Steve. If I love him, I don't want to steal from him. Don't gossip about Steve. Well, no, I don't. I love him. I'm not going to talk about him. You come up with anything you can do against your neighbor. If you're walking in love with them, you don't want to do it. And you're not motivated to do it. It's when we get caught up in that flesh and that unrenewed mind that we start doing those things. Because we start thinking, yeah, but you don't know what he did. You don't know what he said. And I got to hit back. No, walk in love. Walk in love. Why? How can I do that? Because I now, I don't have stone heart. I have a fleshly heart, tender heart. And God's word is in there. But here again, do I have, if I've been feeding on that bread, have I been walking in that light? Have I been praying those prayers? The last thing was the pot of manna. We, we read about it. This is a different scripture in John 6, verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. He's given us the eternal bread. The question is, are we consuming the bread? Is it becoming a part of us? Are we walking in the light that that bread brings? Paul, I think it's Paul, said it in Hebrews 9. We're going to close with this. This is Hebrews 9, verse 1 through 5. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there was the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. He's saying all of this comes to one fruition, the presence of God. You apply the blood, you wash what you can off your flesh, keep the world's influences off as best you can, even though you're going to pick them up, be quick to get rid of them. You feed on the table of showbread, you walk in the light, you offer your prayers, because inside you is that rod that budded. You used to be dead, but now you're alive. You have a heart of flesh where the commandments of God are there, and they reside within you. And you have the bread of life in you because you have Jesus in you. And when you do that consistently, guess what? God shows up. His glory shows up. And His presence shows up. And where His presence is... There is fullness of joy. That's when you get happy. Because God showed up in my life. Things change when God's presence is there. I can't change anything. I have, Believe me, I worked hard as a kid. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know too many eight-year-olds that are growing up in a Baptist church with parents as strict as mine that were living in a lot of sin. From 8 to 17, I didn't have a lot that I was manifesting. But I was at the altar 
every other week, rededicating, 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 because I knew what I was trying to do, I couldn't do. I was uh, Paul in chapter 7 of Romans. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. I have a will to do right, and I can't get it done. And finally, after about eight years, nine years of it, I said, I quit. Because nobody ever said, of course you can't get it done, son. It's a task too big for you. Just feed on the Word and get some light. Now, see, that was my problem. I didn't have any Word. I didn't have any light. Grew up in church, knew all the Bible studies. At that point in time, I could probably beat anybody or, or most anybody in Bible trivia. I didn't have a revelation of who Jesus was on the inside of me. What a crime to be raised in church and not know the Bible. And yet, it happens all the time. All the time. We think because our kids know the Bible stories, they know Jesus. Because they know the Bible studies, they have a revelation of who the Lord is. And they're not the same thing. We need to get beyond the Bible stories and introduce people to the real Jesus. Let Him see Him in me. I can't wave the Bible at people. I, you know, you're a Bible thumper. I don't beat people up with the Bible. I have to take the presence of God that's within me and let them see the light. Pray for them to see their eyes to be un, un, unveiled. But if I don't have the light shining out of me, what are they going to see? They're going to see me. Ugly. Well, you're not ugly. Oh, yes, I am. And without Jesus, without the light of Christ, you have no idea how ugly I can be. I've manifested it to a few of you in small doses. None of you really seen the bad me. I joked with my physics kids last week. I said, you know, you all get to see a bear. It's your choice whether it's Teddy or Grizzly. <laughs> well, I've got Grizzly. And I got Grizzly for a lot of people. But not if the light of Christ is shining out of me. The light of Christ is shining out of me. They don't see me. They see Jesus. Would to God that that's what they saw in us all the time. But that's why we have to keep feeding on it. For most Christians, and I say this to our, our discredit, you go into that holy place, the table of showbread's empty, been empty for years. The oil's out in the lamp. The, the altar of incense is cold. Well... Let's pray, our Father who art in heaven. Have you ever watched movies when people get desperate? Oh, let's pray. What do they do? They recite the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Might as well just go, Mary had a little lamb. Because there's no faith in it. They have no idea, uh, no idea who the Father is and who Jesus is. And if, if, if you wait till everything hits the fan to go to the Word, too late. Too late. Now, don't, don't take that to mean don't start. Wherever you are, start there. Start feeding. Get some light. Walk in the light. Offer some prayers. And keep, keep commanding and telling yourself, I'm like Aaron's rod. I really am alive on the inside. I know I don't act like it, but I am. I am godly. I am righteous. Well, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't manifested that in 20 years. No, but I'm going to. I'm starting. 
I'm going I'm to fan those flames. There's a little ember, but I'm blowing on it. Well, it's just smoking. That's all right. Flames are going to pop out here any minute because I'm going to feed that fire. I'm going to stir up that gift with, that's on the inside of me. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you that your presence is with us. I thank you, God, that we, we were dead, but we're alive now. That your, your word is with us. You have given us not only your word in Jesus, but you've given us your word in, in printed form that we might consume it and be changed by it. I pray, Father, that you'll begin to give us illumination, that you'll give us light on what your word says. I pray, Father, that as we pray these Paul's of prayer, or, or these prayers of Paul, the apostle, that he prayed for the church at Colossae and the church at Ephesus, I pray, Father, that we'll start to get revelation, that you will enlighten us, that you will give us a revelation of what you have done for us and who you have made us. And that as we start to get that light, we'll walk in that light, and people will begin to look at us and think, wow, you're not like you used to be. Why? And it will give us opportunity to say, because Jesus is alive in my life. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me lately. Let me tell you how Jesus has impacted my life. Let me show you how Jesus has changed me for the better. And then let me go beyond that and let you know that He loves you. And He wants to change you and help you. He's not mad at you. He's not a, a, an angry God who is out to, to cut that thread and just condemn you to hell. He's a loving Father who wants to bring you home and restore every good thing to you. But you have to open yourself to Him. And let us plant those seeds, Father, and plant those seeds until that, that soil becomes softened and that soil becomes more rich because we're planting the Word in it. Plant it in our own hearts at first, but plant it in, plant it in those that are around us that we might see fruit in our own life and see the fruit of righteousness in others. Father, just help us to walk that out. Help us to, to know who we are in Christ. Help us to, to bear the fruit of that new man that we can, that we can, and can see your will done in our lives. We're believing you to do that, Father. Now, Lord, as we go from here, I bless these people. Lord, bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you, give you peace. May He lift up His countenance upon you. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. You shall not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day or of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at the middle of the day. A thousand may fall at your side, a ten thousand may fall right at your right hand, but it shall not come near you because you have made the Lord. The Lord Jesus, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For He has given His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Lord, I bless these people now and thank you for them. And believe that as we go, we go revived, fed, that we will walk in the light that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person 
at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.